Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.43 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It is the 11th. No, is it the 11th? No, it's the 12th of April, 2022. And this is episode 573 of Bitcoin. And apparently inflation was not transitory. (gasps) Perish the thought. We were told that we could believe J-Pal. We were told that he was a trustworthy individual and that he would never lead us astray. And if you bought that, you're... Just lost. I don't know how many times I have to tell people to stop believing the bullshit that they are hearing about everything. If it's in the media right now, it's a lie. Yes, I know I'm I'm media too, and so far that I do produce a, a podcast, but I'm not I'm not affiliated, I'm not franchised, I am not uh, I don't have sponsors. I, I am a, I am a free spirit out here on the ether doing what it is that I do because, well, I like it and I like you guys too. So even though I am technically media, I hope that I'm not lying to you. I certainly don't mean to. If I tell you something that's just flat ass wrong, it's not on purpose. As opposed to the people like Jay Powell, who knew damn well that inflation was going to be running and it was going to be running for a long time and it was going to be running hot. 8.4 to 8.5 is the CPI print as of this morning. Thank you very much, Jay Powell. It was not transitory and I don't think it's going away anytime soon. We're looking square in the face of a recession. Eh buy your Bitcoin. Why? Well, Nakadai or Ghost of Nakadai has has a good breakdown of, of Bitcoin. He says, I can break down the characteristics of Bitcoin versus crypto further as money versus currency. Bitcoin is money. It's a medium of exchange, a unit of account, a store of value. It's portable, durable, divisible, fungible, apolitical, decentralized, censorship resistant, an unforgeable costliness is a main characteristic, right? Everything that we have that is causing inflation is literally almost none of those. Although it is portable, but it's not durable. You know, fiat is divisible and it's relatively fungible, or at least it was fungible before the whole Canadian trucker thing popped up. It... <clears throat> It, it fiat is certainly political at this point. It's just ridiculous. I mean, now it's just a political weapon. I you you see what we're doing around the world with uh, you know sanctions against various countries, especially like you know Russia right now, and the whole thing basically just tears down the ability of a money to actually be money, it's eating itself. It's like the snake eating its own tail. I I don't know what else to say about it, but ladies and gentlemen, inflation print today, 8.5. And you know it's higher than that because the CPI does not actually have most of the shit that you need to live on a daily basis. So they're lying yet again. Even as they admit that they were wrong about the transitory nature of inflation, they're still lying because they're not telling you the whole truth. Inflation's double digits, right? It just is. They don't include fuel. They don't include housing of any kind. There's no rent. Okay. That's not in CPI. Uh, Mortgages, not, not in CPI. Food, not in CPI. I don't even think actually medical care is included in CPI, which begs the question, what the hell's in CPI? What's left? What's left? 
I mean, shit, I just listed off pretty much 60% of a family's, you know, monthly financial obligations. I don't know, man. The whole thing is just bullshit. It's all bollocks. But the good news is that our boy Hancock Ben is taking up the mantle. He's taking it up. He's going to start a mid-Michigan meetup. So you guys need to go over to Bitcoin101.io. That's Bitcoin, the numbers, 101.io. And you can find out more about it. But he's going to be hosting uh, at, amazingly enough, and I love this. This is actually really kind of cool. It doesn't sound like much, so just bear with me. But understand, it, it really is. It will be cool. It's going to be hosted at... 130 acre gravel pit, gravel pit. Yes, I said it, gravel pit with tours to the Bitcoin 101 bank, which is six minutes away. Um, He's going to be making a new promo video. He gave me a, this is actually basically coming off of a DM. Um, Let me see. Oh, did he uh, actually get back to me again? Yeah, he's got some more information here since he wrote me this morning. Um, He is going to, the, the pit is named Bitcoin Beach North on Google Maps. Uh, there is a lake. Uh, apparently it's called Lake Satoshi. Um, but he's he's bound to determine to make a thing with mid-Michigan and a Bitcoin meetup and like a little, uh, it looks like it's going to be like a, he's going to kind of do it as a conference kind of thing. Uh, I don't think he's got any speakers yet. This is just, I mean, this is literally hot off the presses. So if you guys are listening to me, you're in Michigan, you need to go follow first, follow Ben at Hancock underscore Ben. Go to Bitcoin101.io to find out further information. C, listen to me. So, because it is, if, if Ben gives me any more information, I'll be sure to tell you about it. But he says that he's uh, working on locking down Lake Satoshi for the lake name. There will be boat rides, trail hiking, fishing, free camping, uh, fire burning all day, tours of the Bitcoin 101 facility, hoping to make a good turnout for this summer. And it looks like it's going to be sometime in August, uh, mid-August to late August. Uh, so keep your keep your eyes peeled on Hancock Ben's project, uh, Bitcoin 101 and the Bitcoin Beach North. This is not a negotiation. Okay, so listen, oh yeah, I'm actually on the bitcoin101.io page. Uh, Let's go to home and see what the hell's going on here. Blah, 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 a brick, a brick, brick, a brick and mortar entrance to a digital financial future is one of the taglines here. Discrete physical multi-signature key storage for your multi-sig wallet, multi-sig wallet, uh, consulting and education amongst other services. Central Michigan facility and virtual services. So they have a brick and mortar plus the ability to do it virtual, uh, virtual and on-site consultations. Let's see, uh, Bitcoin one. Okay, so it looks like kind of a cross between uh, bank services, multi-sig security services and educational services. Uh, If you need more information on that, contact info at bitcoin101.io. Again, that's info at bitcoin101.io. Thanks, Ben. I love the Bens. Now, into the news. Wealth report. As old money procrastinates, young money goes crypto. I know I use the word crypto. I can't help it. Why? Because it's Cointelegraph piece by Daniel Kogan. The rich get richer, bitches. According to the Wealth X Consulting Company, in 2020, the number of ultra-high net worth individuals worth $5 million to $30 million in the world re- increased by 1.7% to 300,000 people. The combined net worth of this group increased by 2% to $35.5 trillion, with a T, dollars. Observing the investment preferences of rich individuals and institutional investors is instructive. They have access to exclusive information and analytics to inform their investment decisions and their investments are often supported by an army of advisors, employees of family offices and wealth managers. Due to the instability in world politics and high inflation in many parts of the globe, 2021 marked a trend for the wealthy to search for new investment growth points. Traditional assets on which the fortunes of the establishment are usually based, you know, real estate, securities, deposits, 
are currently under a great deal of pressure. According to economist Ziad Aldenur, 70% of wealthy families in the United States lose their wealth in the second generation and 90% lose capital in the third generation. In order to save their clients' monies and their own business, global investment managers have been rebalancing investment portfolios throughout 2021 in an attempt to minimize the consequences of the COVID-19 scamdemic and geopolitical shocks. I said scamdemic, they actually call it an epidemic, but it's all bullshit. In 2022, the world faces larger scale problems related to the conflict between Russia and Ukraine and Europe and tensions in the Middle East. Inflation, rising prices for gold, wheat, oil, palladium, and other commodities, and general economic instability in many countries are forcing rich people to consider investing in crypto. Representatives of old money and new money tend to have different views on crypto assets. For example, Elon Musk said that apart from the stock in his own companies, Tesla and SpaceX, Cryptocurrency is his only major personal investment. Many millennial millionaires' main assets are digital. However, most millionaires of older generations continue to treat cryptocurrencies cautiously or even openly negatively. American billionaire investor and vice chairman of Berkshire Hathaway, Charlie the Fishmonger, said that Bitcoin is disgusting and contrary to the interest of civilization. Jesus Christ, what a dude. Lloyd Blankfein, Former senior chairman at Goldman Sachs said that Bitcoin was not useful as a means of saving capital due to its volatility. I don't know. Have you seen gold? Have you seen oil? People, you know, I'm sorry, but these are volatility is the thing. People trade on vol volatility and a lot of people swear that they can only make money in volatile times. So I don't know exactly what he's talking about, but be that as it may, many American asset managers have caved in to the pressure of the crypto industry. <clears throat> JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, other large investment companies are all already doing extensive research on crypto, mainly Bitcoin and shitcoin number one, and even predict changes in the value of cryptocurrencies. The philosophy of decentralization that lies at the core of the cryptocurrency movement is consonant with many millennial entrepreneurs worldwide. Nope, sorry. Consonant with many millennial entrepreneurs' worldviews. According to WealthX, in contrast to popular conceptions of wealth, most ultra-rich individuals across the globe, 84%, are self-made, meaning that they have attained their success through education and hard work. Almost 90% of those with a general interest in crypto have created all of their own wealth with just 0.5% relying on inheritance. Self-made wealthy individuals accustomed to taking risk are more open to the volatile nature of cryptocurrencies than most second or third generation wealthy aristocrats. The average age of the global wealthy population is just over 60, and the average age of wealthy individuals with general interest in crypto is 53.7. Speaking to Cointelegraph, Tim Frost, founder and CEO of digital wealth platform Yield App, said that according to the company's regular surveys of its clients, the largest majority of users sit within 25 to 45 year of age bracket, but Yield App has thousands of users aged 50 and above all over the world. A pronounced feature of crypto-focused millionaires is, according to Wealth, their interest in technology and philanthropy. It is the founders and executives of the technology sector, such as Musk and Tim Cook, who are global entrepreneurs of cryptocurrencies. They draw the attention of thousands of people around the world to the sector, thereby making it more liquid and attractive to investors, including the ultra-wealthy. The resistance of representatives of old money and old methods of money management to crypto is gradually weakening. The crypto industry is dealing more and more blows to the once thriving financial machine founded on stocks, bonds, and real estate. Today, the futility of ignoring cryptocurrencies is becoming more and more obvious. The statements of Munger and Blankfein, even among like-minded peers, are becoming increasingly perce perceived as mere grumbling. Swiss banks have an excellent reputation for being safe and anonymous. For centuries, the wealthiest representatives of the global establishment used to choose the Swiss banking system as a place to store and manage their capital. The reliability of Swiss banks is often compared to the reliability of Swiss watches. 
Carol Montenthaler, a representative of Swiss private bank Lombard ODA, commented that the bank's investment convictions are based on long-term growth and stability to ensure that the client's assets can grow and be passed down to future generations. She added, investing in cryptocurrencies does not currently have the required quality and guarantees, end quote. Despite such a cautious view of crypto assets, the bank is engaged with tech companies in the field of blockchain, specifically Taurus and We Can Comply. Oh God, what a terrible name. We Can Comply, W-E-C-A-N. Oh, for fuck's sake. And is closely looking at the technology. The conservative world of Swiss banking might not be in a rush to embrace cryptocurrencies, but it is certainly watching the industry and striving to understand it. Cryptocurrencies are not magic investment pills suitable for all categories of investors. Yet in the near future, it will be possible to observe a certain convergence in the positions of crypto enthusiasts and crypto skeptics. It will take quite a long time for the crypto asset market to become sufficiently institutional so that the most conservative of investors who traditionally prefer gold and real estate start paying attention to it. The market will have to become less speculative and volatile, getting rid of the main charges brought against it by investment ultra conservatives. So there you go. That's actually, I mean, even though they use the word cryptocurrency liberally in this particular article, it does show that the, that the dam is sort of, it's breaking. The difference between the ultra conservatives the the ultra conservative ultra wealthy i guess should i should say ultra wealthy ultra conservatives the the difference in the the wall between that world and the world that we inhabit right down here is becoming thinner and thinner and thinner and more and more holes are breaking through so it's a matter of time and this boils down to time preference if you are if you have a if you got a short time preference, well, then sell all your Bitcoin and, and just punch out and I don't know, go buy a, you know, I don't know, go buy something, go buy a Lambo. If you have a long world view though, if you, if you really feel that you're not going to die tomorrow, then you might want to wait this one out and just see what the hell happens and continue to daily cost average into Bitcoin. Fuck the cryptocurrencies. It's all bullshit. DCA into Bitcoin, do it at $25 a week, $100 a week, whatever it is that you can afford, but do it at least every week, okay? 20 bucks a week, you can do that. You can do 20 bucks a week. Don't buy the alcohol. Don't buy the two packs of cigarettes. Don't don't buy, you know, a few things that add up to 20 bucks a week and then just, you know, dump it into a daily cost average situation like Swan Bitcoin, Cash App, or even Strike now offers that ability. Now, Musk, uh, we got to do it. Musk backing off of Twitter board opens up a door to a hostile takeover. Now, this is out of CNBC, but yesterday I was talking about how how Musk decided he was just, no, I'm done. I'm not going to be on the board. And it was like four days after they announced that he was going to be on the board. And everybody's speculating. Is Is it the CEO of Twitter freaking out? Is it the employee base just completely freaking out or does Musk have something else up his sleeve? He very well may. I, I still think he's batshit crazy, but it takes somebody who's batshit crazy to probably pull off a hostile takeover of Twitter. Let's see what the hell, uh, who's writing this thing? Lauren Finer. Let's see what she has to say about it. A billionaire Elon Musk's uh, reversal of his decision to join Twitter's board opens up the door to a hostile takeover and could lead to additional volatility in the stock according to analysts. Musk's decision not to join Twitter's board means he's no longer limiting to owning just 14.9% of the company. Now, many analysts suggest the Tesla CEO could bolster his stake and eventually try and establish control. Quote, This weekend's changeup spares the company from having to deal with a renegade director tweeting about board level discussions. That would have been untenable, Gordon Hassett, research advisors Don Bilson wrote in a note on Monday. Quote, 
The flip side to this is that Twitter must deal with a wild card investor that already owns 9% of the company and has the resources to buy the remaining 91%. As volatile as Musk is, we could see a move like that made shortly or we could never see it at all. This overhang that Twitter now lives beneath certainly qualifies as a distraction, end quote. Bilson pointed to Twitter CEO Parag Agarwal's statement <laughs> announcing Musk would no longer join the board in which he warned employees of distractions ahead. Bilson told CNBC in a phone interview on Monday that the company's messaging was sort of ominous. Ultimately, Twitter could decide to swallow a poison pill or a shareholder rights plan to defend against a hostile takeover. But Bilson wrote such a measure comes with the risk that it might anger Musk and perhaps it would be best for Twitter to keep that arrow in its quiver for the time being. Quote, it's going to be pretty hard to get committed to an investment thesis because you never know where the winds are going to flow. I don't think anything is off the menu with this guy, Bilson told CNBC. Web Bush Securities analyst Dan Ivey's offered a similar sentiment on Monday morning. Quote, this is clearly going to be an unfriendly situation. Ives told CNBC's Andrew Ross Sorkin on Squawk Box. Quote, instead of Musk in the boardroom, in the corner, just saying nay or agreeing on certain board candidates, I think now it really goes on to point that in the coming days, I think we'll start to see if he's going to be more hostile, more active. That's what the street is focused on right now, I've said. Twitter stock had its best day since its IPO. After Musk's more than 9% stake in the company became public, it jumped an additional 2% the day after when the company revealed Musk would join the board. Shares fluctuated Monday and the unpredictability could continue. Quote, while it remains unclear what Mr. Musk's priorities are, we do expect his tweets will receive increased attention which could drive share price volatility, key bank analyst wrote Monday following the news. But Loop Ventures managing partner Gene Munster said on, his name's Munster. Ew, that's so cool. Gene Munster said on CNBC Squawk Box, he thinks that the majority of the drama is over. Munster said, he based that prediction on the assumption it would have been a smarter decision to go for the takeover immediately if he intended to do that. He also said he thinks taking over Twitter simply isn't where Musk wants to spend so much of his time. Quote, understand that there is something that is important to him around free speech, and I think he wants to move that forward. Understand that he sees that as an opportunity as big as electrification and as big as space travel, Munster said. But ultimately, I think... This is just one too many things on the plate for him to take over. I doubt that. You're dealing with a highly immature, very volatile, extraordinarily wealthy son of a bitch whose majority of wealth came off the backs of the United States taxpayer and not really at the hands from his own hands. Not saying that he's not worthy of, you know, some accolades, but honestly, let's be, let's be real. The majority of his wealth was not earned by him making a fabulous fucking car or having extraordinary amounts of contracts to send space cargo to various places, you know, in low earth orbit from different, different countries. No, most of it is subsidized by the United States government and therefore I'm paying his salary. So he's got a shit ton of money. He didn't really make it all. He's extraordinarily volatile. He's kind of immature. He doesn't mind shit coining and telling people to buy into Doge. So his ethic base is probably a little sketch. I would not put it past him. For him, for him to be looking at Twitter as a mere toy. These guys are thinking, oh, well, he's going to go all in, or no, he would have already done that. He would have already done a hostile takeover. No. I've seen cats catch a mouse and play with that mouse until that mouse is dead. And that can take 30 minutes. I've seen, I've watched it fucking happen. Not once, not twice, not three times, but many, many, many times. Cats don't 
immediately eat their prey. They like to bat it around. They like to, to be mean to it. They like to chew on it a little bit, puncture it, make sure it's weakened, let it crawl around and have some fun with it. It would not surprise me at all if that is exactly what Elon is doing. Eventually, he'll probably eat Twitter, but he doesn't have to do it immediately. He doesn't have to do it in the next couple of weeks. He doesn't have to do it in the next couple of months. He's a young man. He can take his time. He's going to be more like a cat, I guarantee it. Now, uh, from Bitcoin 2022 to the rest of the plebs, why I'm riding a Harley across the United States meeting Bitcoiners. Captain Sid is writing this one for Bitcoin Magazine. To me, Bitcoin represents the opportunity for the common person to take back sovereignty in a time of vanishing freedoms and increasing dependence. However, that understanding took many years of exploring and curiosity to find. I approached Bitcoin from a technical and financial perspective, dug into the history of money, and read bundles of arcane economics papers that all contributed to this idea of Bitcoin and its impact. Bitcoin grew faster and further than I ever imagined. Given how long it took for it to click for me personally, I wanted to find out what is bringing people to Bitcoin and how this movement is growing organically. In addition, I want to share these stories with you and your friends and family because I believe these perspectives have the potential to resonate with other earlier in the Bitcoin journey. These stories are best told and heard in person after a handshake. How will I hear these stories? by going on tour. What's the Bitcoin tour? To hear how people are falling down the rabbit hole, I will visit Bitcoin meetups across the United States this year, starting for Bitcoin 2022 in Miami. I am riding the ultimate freedom machine, a Harley Davidson motorcycle to see the country from the ground. He's got a picture of this bike here. Can't tell if it's a soft tail or not, but it's a pretty nice looking Harley. As I visit the many Bitcoin meetups sprouting up across the country, I will hear about the share or sorry, hear about and share the myriad ways all of us come to appreciate Bitcoin. My goal is for your friends and family to see these stories and find just one that resonates with them, that shows them how Bitcoin might help solve a problem that they care about. Swan Bitcoin will host these stories on its YouTube channel and I will share them upon Twitter. If you want to share your story, let me know where you attend your local Bitcoin meetup and I will try to make it there. If you organize a regular Bitcoin meetup in your area, definitely direct message or direct message me on Twitter. You can see the rough plan for my route around the United States in this article below. And his Twitter handle is at Captain Sidda, S-I-D-D-H. I think that's how you pronounce it. Or Captain Sid whatever. Anyway, Captain Sid, S-I-D-D-H. That is all one word. So, you know, make sure that you get a hold of them. So this tour is ostensibly about sharing how people come to find and appreciate Bitcoin, but the motivation runs much deeper. Let me attempt to share why. Risk makes life interesting. We marvel at evil Knievel, revere mountain climbers, follow entrepreneurs in part because of all these people that take big risks. They put careers, reputation, limbs, and even life on the line to explore the uncharted and make the map for all of us. All of our great stories track the arc of a hero reckoning with obstacles both within and without, not the humdrum of daily life. On some level, we are attracted to and amazed by taking big risks to explore the unknown. My motivation behind this tour is deeply rooted in an exploration of risk and the unknown. I love riding motorcycles partially because of the risk brings a rush that can't be captured on a page. I want to visit meetups and learn from Bitcoiners because I have truly very little idea of what I will learn or how, but I know I'll find a way to hear and share incredible stories. I quit a stable job to go on this tour because I wanted to see what the risk of taking a few months to travel across the United States could reveal in my life. Taking on sponsors for the tour also introduces a risk that I could let those sponsors down. I decided early on to work only with companies that I respect and people who I like. I would rather ride completely on my own dime than sell that freedom to someone I loathe working with. Working with teams I respect, however, pushes this tour to places it would never go if it was just me and a motorcycle. I owe a huge thanks to those sponsors for believing in my tour and this vision. 
Swan Bitcoin, Bitcoin Magazine, Unchained Capital, and Upstream Data. Risk also comes with reward for those who navigate successfully. Facing the unknown and knowing it one step at a time is the root of why I set out on this Bitcoin tour. I live for these experiences. I believe most everyone finds joy in these kinds of experiences, but it is also easy to avoid them altogether. Our society today, especially in the developed world, doesn't help. We're driven to work harder and longer for less than soothe ourselves with menus of on-demand entertainment, food, prepackaged experiences, and all other manner of predictable dopamine releases. Risk and exploring the unknown is discouraged from many angles, even though it invigorates us and drives healthy, happy societies. I hope my tour can inspire others to take the risks that they've been mulling. Risk also comes hand in hand with freedom. Life is inherently a risky business requiring personal responsibility to survive and thrive. Throughout history, societies have used controls and regulations to change how their citizens view and interact with risks. However, <clears throat> strong, sorry, however strong the rule of human law, however, we cannot eliminate the risks inherent to natural law. Often, when we attempt to eliminate a risk arising from the natural world, we only kick it off into the future. Our current financial and monetary system does not eliminate the risks of credit-based currency with bailouts and regulations, but instead pushes them off, allowing them to fester and grow. This constant kicking of the can down the road is the fiat mentality. Looked at through this lens, other crypto coins are simply a continuation of the existing system, a repackaging of fiat mentality and fancy world salads, <clears throat> sorry, I'm sure he said word salads, and shiny JPEGs. The incentives of Bitcoin's system point to a different era, one where risks and rewards are more evenly distributed to those who choose to take them on. The military aggression, controls, and taxation systems are no longer necessary for the purpose of backstopping the legitimacy of currencies and the great power managing a currency gives a government. Neither will the norm continue to be endless inflation in a time of staggering productivity gains from technology. It is no surprise that many label Bitcoin as risky because Bitcoin is changing our relationship to risk. Bitcoin will force an end to a system that incentivizes policymakers and the public to put off and bottle up risks until they explode catastrophically. And in my view, Bitcoiners sharply understand risk and its relationship to freedom, to personal responsibility, and to living out a rewarding life. This tour will help me test the idea to learn more about how those who support Bitcoin understand these relationships and share that knowledge in a relatable way. Now that the weighty stuff is over, it's down to where the rubber meets the road. After departing Miami, I plan to ride up and around the U.S. for three months, logging over 10,000 miles in the saddle. The first leg of the trip will cover Texas and the south up or south end or in, oh, wait, Texas and the south up to the eastern seaboard. And those dates are more or less set. The second leg of the trip will take a tour across the northeast and through the Midwest, ending up in Colorado in late June. The final leg goes down to the Southwest, then up through the Rockies and along the Pacific coast to end in Los Angeles. Here's what the route looks like all mapped out. Keep in mind, this is not set in stone and he's got a map with all the waypoints on it. And my God almighty, is this one hell of a route? You gotta see this thing. You'll have to, you'll have to go to a bitcoinmagazine.com uh, and look for Bitcoin 2022 motorcycle tour across the U.S. Uh, to see this map. It's freaking glorious. Uh, if you'd like to share your story, join me for the ride uh, and ju or just learn what I'm learning as I cross the United States. Follow me on Twitter at Captain S-I-D-D-H and join the tour's telegram. If you'd like to support the tour financially, you can donate sats via the TallyCoin fundraiser. Uh, whoever you are, dear reader, I am psyched to meet you and your local Bitcoin meetup. Keep stacking and I'll see you soon. You might just snag one of the 21 hats I'll be giving out as stops along the way. Sweet. So, okay. Well, so follow Captain Sid, S-I-D-D-H, and find out more about this. I'll see if I can't uh, give regular updates as he's doing it. Now it's time to run the numbers.
CNBC futures and commodities, West Texas Intermediate up five and a half points to $99.46. Brent North Sea likewise up five and a half to $103.88. Natural gas is up a third of a point to $6.66. And gasoline up uh, three and a half points to $3.11. Gold is up nine, no, 0.93% to 1966 bucks. Silver up 1.71, platinum is down a little over a point, copper is up half a point, palladium is down 2.78%. Ag futures are mixed, wheat up 1.26, soybeans up 1.23, corn is up 1.42, sugar is down, coffee's down but scant, uh, cotton is up two and a third, rice is up almost a half and chocolate is down a half. Uh, let's see, Dow up 0.65%, possibly on news that inflation was not indeed transitory. S&P up over a point, NASDAQ up 1.69%, and the S&P mini blowing it out 1.8% to the upside. Uh, money, real money, bouncing back a little bit after it dipped to something like 39,000. It's back at 40,438. 272,000 transactions performed the last 24 hours. That's 11,300 transactions every hour on the hour. One and a half million BTC changing hands in that 24 hour period. That's a lot. Uh, that's 63,000 BTC being sent every hour on the hour with an average transaction value of 5.62 BTC. A median transaction value uh, down to 0.015 BTC or about 536 bucks. Block times are very close to 10, 10 minutes and four seconds, 0.07 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 11 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. A one and a half percent dip in hash rate brings us down to 199.6 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator is Doge, 14.3 United States pennies. We have 10,597 transactions waiting on five blocks to clear. We're down to a $761.7 billion market capitalization. That is below 6% of gold's market cap. And if you so choose, you may purchase Peter Schiff's shiny metal balls for 20.4 ounces a piece at one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,009,510.93 of and 3,000 611.2 of those are locked in the Lightning Network, valued at $144.9 million, running over 19,767 nodes, sporting 84,932 payment channels that we know about, and 73.6 of all of it's running over Tor, and it's 11,790 associated Tor Bitcoin nodes, or at least the ones that we can see. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. We start off with the announcement of my new club, the Flat Ass Society. That's right. If your ass looks like a 90-year-old man's ass, you're part of the Flat Ass Society. Why the, what the hell am I talking about? Apparently, apparently, there's a whole bunch of people that are miffed on Twitter right now because a couple of pictures of asses were taken uh, at the Bitcoin 2022 conference and it being circulated as memes. And okay, here's the deal. You're never going to get away from being made fun of, right? That's just going to happen. However, we don't have to make it completely, you know, we don't, we don't have to be, we don't have to be 100% dicks. Okay. We really don't. We have the choice to not do it. However, for those that it's being done to, you have to understand if you wear fucking stretch pants in public, somebody's going to look at your ass. Why? Because stretch pants basically outline the curves of your ass perfectly. It gives no, there's no, no room left for the imagination to wonder about said ass. No, said ass is hanging out in public and it just, just because it has this, you know, a thin veil of fabric over it does not, does not mean that I can't see your ass, okay? If you don't want people to take pictures of your ass, 
then don't let your ass hang out in fucking public. Right? Wear pants, wear a dress, wear a skirt, wear whatever the hell it is you're going to wear. But when you wear stretch pants in public and you don't have like a skirt over it or something over it, then guess what? There's nothing left to the imagination as to what your crotch and your ass look like. Get your shit together and stop going out in public with the 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 thinnest veil of fabric against your skin. If you want to do that, put on a fucking bikini or a bathing suit and go to the beach, but don't go hanging out in a mall with your ass in full view because that's exactly what you're doing. Stop it. And all you guys that are taking pictures of this and circulating it around, come on guys, be better than that. Also, Stop letting your ass hang out in public. Okay. That's sort of what you're doing. You're, you're letting your ass hang out in public. Everybody here sucks. Okay. Right now, this whole ass club thing is really, it's, it's, it's grinding on me. Pun intended. Now, legendary TV show 60 Minutes turns its eye to El Salvador's Bitcoin beach. This is Bitcoinist and it is being written by who? Nobody, apparently. Nobody. It doesn't get much more mainstream than CBS's 60 Minutes. The legendary news magazine debuted in 1968 and has been going strong ever since. And now they're talking about El Zante, a.k.a. Bitcoin Beach, the place where it all started. How did it start, though? Even though Bitcoinist has written extensively about the subject, we learned a few things from the 60 Minutes report titled Bitcoin Beach, how a town in El Zante sorry, in El Salvador, became a testing ground for Bitcoin. The journalist in charge was Sharon Alfonsi. Even though she presented the subject in a respectful manner, manner, she knew nothing about Bitcoin and it showed. The people she interviewed did though, so the piece works journalistically speaking. However, Alfonsi's privilege, oh God, shined on throughout the entire report. Does this sound condescending to you? Quote, So we thought it was time to try and get our heads around the complicated world of cryptocurrencies, specifically the largest one, Bitcoin. To do that, we went to one of the simplest places in the world, a remote town known as Bitcoin Beach, end quote. Yeah, bunch of simpletons live in simplistic place. And what about when a tourist says the town might be the next Singapore and she says, Singapore, it's hard to imagine. The only traffic jams in El Zante are caused by loose livestock. Honestly, was that necessary? In any case, Alfonsi found the real propaganda or protagonist of the story and put them on 60 Minutes. And for that, we thank her. From founder and donation recipient Mike Peterson to the legendary Mama Rosa, the owner of the first business to accept Bitcoin in the area, and the mother of Jorge Valenzuela, he and Roman Martinez were also interviewed. They had been doing volunteer work for years, and when Peterson got the mysterious BTC donation, the trio started the Bitcoin Beach Initiative and eventually changed El Salvador forever. The 60 Minutes report didn't get that part of the story right, but that's okay. Bitcoinist is here to help. About the small, still anonymous Bitcoin Wales donation, Peterson says, quote, The stipulation was you can't just convert it into dollars because they believe the actual usage of Bitcoin would be what would benefit the people. And so for me, it was like, wow, this is somebody that wants to actually see a circular economy generated using Bitcoin and they're willing to actually put the funds behind it, end quote. Then Sharon Alfonsi shows some businesses that don't accept Bitcoin, asks Peterson to define Bitcoin and looks puzzled by the answer and brings up volatility. Quote, yes, there's ups and downs. Volatilities are all along the way, but over the long-term perspective, it's going up in value against the dollar, Peterson responds. Alfonsi answers with the darndest question. Quote, you're not doubling down on this because you personally get can get rich. End quote. Quote, I will benefit if the price of Bitcoin goes up, but I can't impact that. I can't influence it. That's not the driving reason behind this. The reason is we want to see El Zante transformed, end quote. The 60 Minutes piece doesn't do the best of jobs describing how Strike was essential to the whole story. Luckily, Bitcoinist is here to help again. In the report that concerns us today, Mallers described 
how President Bukele's brother contacted him and asked him to come to the Capitol and meet with them. Quote, it was scary. It was really, really scary. I thought there were like two likely outcomes is that one, they were not happy with me interfering in the financial system in El Salvador, or they were tremendously happy and bought into the vision that this was representative of a better world, not only for El Salvador, but for the whole planet, end quote. To provide a counterpoint, the 60 Minutes piece interviews economist Luis Membreño. He is a Bukele critic, and Alfonsi seemed weirdly enthusiastic about his side of the story. Quote, the problem is that there's going to be a day in which people will find out that the government is indebted, that they will increase taxes to everybody, and that the party is over, Membreño predicts. Little does he know that Bitcoin is the hardest asset in the world and El Salvador's gambit will probably pay off big time. To complete the picture, Sharon Alfonsi brings 19-year-old Ishmael Galdamez. The youngster saw an opportunity in the fact that merchants in the area drove for hours to buy ice. Using Bitcoin, he, he bought a big freezer and started providing ice right there on Bitcoin Beach. The 60 Minutes report ends with Ishmael is planning to move his parents and siblings into this new house in El Zante later this month, and he plans to pay the mortgage in Bitcoin. What a beautiful story. 60 Minutes, ladies and gentlemen. It is not anything to sneeze at, not by a long shot. Even though it is the lying mainstream media, you cannot deny the fact that they have a massive audience, and they have had for quite a long time. And as media goes, 60 Minutes isn't the worst outlet I've seen, not by a long shot, but you know, it is what it is. And it is 60 Minutes and a whole shitload of people saw that story about Bitcoin Beach. That's, you can't, you really cannot buy that kind of publicity, even if it is lying ass mainstream media. Now, speaking of liars, New York Senate authorized the New York DFS to assess crypto companies. Coindesk has it. Nicholas Day is writing it. The New York State Senate is shooting themselves in the head. Oh, I'm sorry, I spelt boosting wrong. They're boosting the Department of Financial Services efforts to oversee the cryptocurrency sector. The Senate passed its fiscal year 2023 budget early Saturday, which includes a provision tasking NYDFS with developing a new assessment or charge for the cryptocurrency companies it oversees to bring its oversight mandate in virtual currencies in line with how the regulator oversees more traditional banks and financial services firms. The assessments are meant to defray operating expenses according to the text of the budget reviewed by Coindesk and are only meant to cover expenses tied directly to the oversight of crypto companies. The expenses of every examination of the affairs of any person regulated pursuant to this chapter that engages in virtual currency businesses uh, or business activities shall be borne and paid by the regulated person so examined but the superintendent, with the approval of the comptroller, may, in the superintendent's discretion for good cause shown, remit such charges. <gasps> End quote. The text of the budget said, NYDFS oversees the U.S. most developed cryptocurrency regulation through its virtual currency licensing regime, commonly known as the bit license. Companies hoping to offer New York residents access to cryptocurrency trading or wallet services must secure a bit license before they can set up shop. In a statement, NYDFS Superintendent Adrienne Harris said the budget would revitalize our state's economy and create a stronger New York. No, it won't. No, it won't. No, it won't. Oh, you're regulating yourself into, into an early grave there, New York. Quote, the budget includes a new authority to collect supervisory costs from licensed virtual currency businesses like the department already does for banking and insurance companies. New York was the first to start licensing and supervising virtual currency companies. And we continue to attract more licenses and the most crypto startup funding of any state in the nation. Bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. You're fucking lying. I'm sorry. That's a bold face lie. Nobody is trying to, I'm, there are some people that are in New York that are trying to open, open up companies. I get that. But everybody is flocking to states that do not have these onerous regulations. And they sure as shit don't want to go somewhere where they have to pay a fucking filing fee so that they can pay a licensing fee so that they can get 
feed again every single time. Oh, well, we're collecting our fees because you got licensed. And it's like, well, what the hell's the license for? If you're just going to con continue to collect fees, which that's what this piece is talking about, that they're going to continuously collect fees from these people who would want to operate in New York, move to Texas and stop voting the way that you were voting in New York that caused you to leave New York in the first fucking place. How easy is this? God, it is frustrating. Anyway, the new budget provision will take place in two months. For God's sakes, y'all, it's just, this is just sad, very sad. Okay, Bitcoin's Lightning Network is not private yet. Namcios writing Bitcoin Magazine. At Bitcoin 2022, a group of developers sat down on the open source stage to flesh out the current state of Lightning privacy, as well as to discuss shortcomings that users should be aware of and to sketch out some solutions. The panel featured Lightning Protocol engineer Blockstream Lisa Nugget, software engineer and Zeus founder Evan Kaloudis, and Bitcoin and Lightning developer Tony Giorgio. Privacy is a common theme in Bitcoin conversations. However, the ideal that backboned the cypherpunks research and development for decades is not straightforward to achieve on Bitcoin. The Lightning Network, Bitcoin's layer two network for cheap and fast transactions off chain is usually also trumpeted for its supposedly private off chain transactions. However, achieving privacy on Lightning is not as simple as many believe. As part of the Lightning Protocol, the Gossip Network leaks user information as they advertise to the network data about themselves. However, it serves an important efficiency purpose. Quote, the reason to use gossip is that you can build routes and send payments, Nougat said. Kaludas added to her thoughts saying, route finding becomes very difficult without gossip. Since a lightning channel is made possibly by locking up Bitcoin funds on chain, any third party observer can see the outputs making up a node because of the gossip network. Quote, you're telling where your on-chain transaction is and you're leaking that to your lightning node, Nougat said. Chain analysis, if they already know your transaction history had been, and you use that to construct a channel, now they know information about you in another network, end quote. While private channels try to provide a solution, there are shortcomings. Quote, we call private channels private, but they're really not. They are more like unannounced channels, Giorgio said, adding that there are currently ways to exploit the Lightning Network that enables a node to discover an unannounced private channel. Quote, if I'm connected to the Lightning Graph, I can try to probe if two people have a channel, Giorgio said. Despite general privacy issues, there are also specific ones as privacy assurances on Lightning change depending on whether the user is sending or receiving payments. Quote, senders have amazing privacy on Lightning on a general level. Receivers, on the other hand, have to give information in order to get paid, and some of that info is IP address, alias, unannounced channels. There is a lot of areas where receivers can be more careful, Giorgio said. It comes down to the users not shooting themselves in the foot, especially when it comes to receiving on Lightning, he added. Kaludis echoed Giorgio's thoughts, saying that developers have limited ability to fix some privacy issues on the network until bigger changes are made. Quote, we need to see some changes at the protocol level to where we want to be in terms of privacy, Kaludis said. The hope is not lost, however. There are steps each person can take to improve their privacy on Lightning. However, Despite facing a long road, developers arguably can and should make it easier for the user to use Lightning privately. One such, such attempt is being made when it comes to invoices. Quote, if you're paying an invoice with Lightning and using a centralized service, you are leaking your payment data, Nagut said. If you've just told the network that you paid someone, why and how much, and that's why Core Lightning is working on Bolt 12. Bolt 12 is a draft specification proposal for Lightning that seeks to bring offers to the protocol. Differently than invoices, offers can be reused and serve for requesting and sending payments and apply some clever tricks to uh, improve privacy. Quote, Bolt 12 tries to fix this with blinded paths, 
where you can provide a route of how to get to you and the payer can pay to the beginning of that route, Nugget said, referring to the difference between telling your own information directly as with invoices. Looking ahead, certain features should be a priority for developers and designers if the community is to ever have a private lightning experience. And that being said, a similar burden will likely always lie on the user to ensure they can get private off-chain payments on Bitcoin's layer two network. So there you go, a little bit of privacy action happening with Bolt 12 and Bitcoin's lightning network. What else have we got? We, do we got anything else of value here? Hold on. Now, 72% of financial advisors would invest more in crypto if spot ETF were available as per a NASDAQ survey written by Stacey Elliott and published by Decrypt.co. A new NASDAQ survey of financial advisors found that 72% would be more likely to invest client assets in cryptocurrencies if they only had access to a spot ETF product. Who would have guessed it? However, only 38% of the advisors surveyed said that they think it's likely that U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission will approve a spot ETF in 2022. Almost as many, 31%, think it's unlikely the SEC will approve a spot crypto ETF product this year. The mix of excitement and skepticism surrounding a spot crypto ETF has not stopped financial advisors from finding other ways to add crypto exposure to their portfolios. Quote, the vast majority of advisors we surveyed either plan to begin allocating to crypto or increase their existing allocation to crypto, said Jake Rappaport, head of digital asset index research at NASDAQ. Quote, as demand continues to surge, advisors will be looking for an institutional solution to the crypto question that now dominates client conversations, end quote. The 500 advisors polled last month by Eight Acre Perspective on behalf of NASDAQ manages $26 trillion for their clients. Holy shit, that's a lot of cash. None of the advisors who already have a portion of their portfolio in crypto plan to decrease it over the next year. The vast majority, 86%, plan to increase their crypto allocations. Only four in 10 advisors uh, that's two in five to people that can do fucking math. We're considering investing in individual cryptocurrencies. According to the survey, 69% said they would consider using an index fund for broad crypto exposure. The fervor surrounding a possible spot Bitcoin ETF approval reignited last week when the SEC approved the Tucrium Bitcoin Futures Fund. Unlike other Bitcoin futures ETFs. The application for this one was filed under the Securities Act of 1933. The SEC has said that the 1933 Act doesn't offer enough consumer protections in several of its spot Bitcoin ETF denials, most recently the ARC 21 shares Bitcoin ETF. But now that a Bitcoin futures ETF has been approved under it, it appears a major obstacle has been removed. Okay, that's interesting. That's really interesting. Uh, the 1933 Act does not offer enough consumer protections. That's what the SEC has been saying. And yet here we have a futures ETF that has been approved of the 1933 Act. So that may, very like they say, that may open a door to a spot ETF. Does Bitcoin need an ETF? Well, we already have four or five, or if you include all the countries, we have 10, maybe 12 in all the countries in the world. We didn't need them, but now we have them. And they're all derivative products based on the price of Bitcoin, but not you can't own the actual asset of, of Bitcoin itself under any of these. The only way to balance this shit show of futures ETFs out is with a spot Bitcoin ETF. So while we didn't need any futures for Bitcoin ever, the fact that we have futures now in for derivatives means that we really do need a spot ETF to balance it. I'm just looking for balance, okay? I would have rather not had any of these things because it makes it so much easier for price to be manipulated. But without a spot ETF to balance that out, then we have nothing but pure fucking manipulation. And that's what I'm seeing in the markets right now. 
is pure manipulation. Just due to the fact that people without having to own the asset itself at all can just screw with the price up and down. They've been doing it with commodities for decades. That's gonna do it for the morning roundup. All right, here it is, your joke. I applied for a job hanging mirrors. It's something I can see myself doing. Hey, if you want to support the show, Podcasting 2.0 is definitely the way to go. You can do that through Fountain App. You can do it through Sphinx Chat App. You can do it through the Breeze Wallet and several other Podcasting 2.0 enabled uh, applications. You can listen to the show and you can stream me sats and you don't have to really do anything other than find the show on a Podcasting 2.0 enabled app. Fill the wallet that is in that app and they always have to have one. Otherwise, it wouldn't be Podcasting 2.0. Fill it with Satoshis and just set the dial to stream me one, three, five, ten 10 Satoshis per minute. And you can support the show while you listen to the show. Otherwise, you can use my Patreon if you want to use dirty, filthy fiat from the legacy world. Uh, it's patreon.com forward slash Bitcoin and podcast. I got nothing more to say, so I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.